0: I'm Tom Crawford, uh, once again sitting in a cupboard in a forest in France.
1: And I'm Clancy Murphy and I'm sitting in sunny Hampshire this morning.
0: How are you Clancy?
1: I'm absolutely fine, thank you very much. Uh, Doing very well and uh, slightly challenged here in England, in Hampshire at the moment. We had a big storm came through last night, uh, so I'm gazing out at my garden, looking at the damage uh, to my beautiful summer flowers. But apart from that, I'm doing very well, thank you.
0: It's the end of the summer. Uh, as a non-producer of children, I'm excited by the fact that uh, they're all sort of going back to school, and I know that must be challenging with COVID. So I'm starting to take mini vacations, and then leading up to our big vacation in September. So super excited, super excited. That sounds
1: great. And uh, mini vacations—that—that that sounds challenging in times of COVID.
0: It is, but um, because we bought the Barbie bus, uh, we can go away and camp and uh, not have to interact with people and not put ourselves or others at risk, apart from when we're driving the Barbie bus along the road. So all good. And a couple of things that I want to mention. Shameless plugs, 24th of September, uh, mashup.events, that's the website, Uh, I am talking with two amazing people, Lucy Adams and Dr. Alan Watkins, on the future of work. So, 4 to 6 p.m., British summertime, 24th of September, a mere £15, absolute bargain to listen to two great people, plus me, talk about the future of work. And the other thing that I've been super excited about and uh, very humbled and touched, actually, is the response to... The publication of Breaking the Glass Floor which is my story about living with bipolar and I know we'll do an episode on that at some point in the future. I'm kind of pushing it down the road because I just feel slightly self-conscious but the response has been very positive and I'm really hoping that makes a, starts to make a difference in the type of conversation we have around mental health. So
1: well Tom it was a very very different uh explanation of what it is like to live with a, a significant mental challenge uh, which is what you talk about in in breaking a glass floor and i was very moved by it when i read it and i have shared it shamelessly with very large numbers of my work colleagues and outside of work and they've all gone wow uh, that really helps so i am very glad that you're shamelessly plugging it i continue to plug it on your behalf <laughs> um and i'm very much looking forward to the the podcast that we do just on that one
0: Okay. Thank you. So what are we going to do today? I know this is largely a podcast about leadership and culture, organizational culture, not Pavarotti. And today's subject sort of covers both, which is namely resilience. I don't know about you, but I've been on a number of calls recently where the reaction has been, oh, we need to make our leaders much more resilient. Yes, they now need to be resilient. And I'm really scared it's a new buzzword. It's got the tones of being slightly macho. You know, we're all going to be resilient. And this scares me. I think as a mental health advocate, I feel the need to talk about the opposite of resilience because, you know, if we're going to be resilient, we need to show our vulnerability. We need to be able to talk about what makes us not resilient, what, uh, what enables us to grow our resilience and to practice our resilience and to talk about when it's working and and not working and i know the things that make me non-resilient are different to the things that make you non-resilient some of them are similar but everybody has different triggers and i think that we can't talk about resilience and leadership resilience without talking about culture Back to the purpose of this podcast
1: and Tom over the last couple of weeks interestingly I've had a bit of leave but actually around that leave I've been contacted and I've spoken to a number of people who are writing white papers or they're doing articles and the one question that those all those conversations have had in common is so do do you think we need more resilient leaders now do you think that's what's coming out of this crisis that leaders just need to be you know more resilient and last time on the podcast we talked about agility being a bit of a buzzword what I've noticed in the last month is resilience and resilient leaders has become an increasing buzzword. so I'm I'm really interested to explore this a bit further in our conversation today
0: and I think you know we've said it probably in every single episode Clancy leaders are massively exposed at the minute I'm 48 next month, and I grew up in the Jack Welsh School of Management. Not literally, I was never at General Electric, but he was the god that everybody turned to. And, you know get rid of the bottom 10% and what did that do? That meant that everybody was scrambling over each other to outperform each other, to trample on each other and therefore showing any sign of vulnerability, any sign of uh, emotional need was frowned upon and you hid it. And suddenly we want to swing the pendulum and now we've got to be resilient and show vulnerability. So I don't think you can talk about resilience if you've got a toxic culture.
1: And and I think that that's a really good point. When people have talked about you know we need resilient leaders, I have very gently reflected back and say yes, I think I think we do. I think we are intrinsically talking about the right thing. But my concern is that we go back thirty years to this macho climb over each other culture. You've, you've talked there about GE and and some of the things that that were. Uh, propagated there which you know bottom 10% has to go each year which means that you're just setting up a massive competition amongst a group of people who then arguably were super resilient because they ignored everything else going on to make sure that they weren't in the bottom 10%. Now that is a form of resilience but I'm not sure that's really what we mean today and one of the things that I've been exploring is Uh, What is the impact of today's resilient leader? What do we need today's resilient leaders to be doing? And perhaps that gives us some insights into the type of characteristics we need those leaders to have.
0: So should we start by defining what is resilience? Because as soon as I hear the word, I have a bit of an allergic reaction when it comes to corporate world, because I worry that some organizations want to make their leaders resilient in order to survive their toxic culture which is arse arse about (laughs) that's a really
1: good observation that is a really really good observation and I think it's quite a dangerous place to get yourself into because I have heard a couple of times in different organizations uh you know put your big girl pants on uh put yourself together and what they're really talking about there is "Yeah, yeah I know it's really toxic but you just need to deal with it now that isn't really the resilience I think we're talking about today
0: Yeah, and I think we've got conflicting messages going on in management, corporate world. Bring yourself to work, but be resilient. Okay, what do you want me to do about that? I want you to be human and vulnerable, but be resilient. So resilience for me, the starting point is being able to say, this is what makes me strong. This is what undermines my strength. I think it's an acceptance on behalf of the organization that not everybody is strong in the same ways every single moment. People come to work, not employees.
1: I think when we say that people come to work and not employees, what we also need to remember is our leaders are also employees. Yeah. And the other thing I've noticed in the last couple of weeks is, and, and perhaps unintentionally and perhaps it's to do with semantics, but a growing narrative, which is we've got employees and we've got leaders and leaders need to be one thing to help the employees be something else and I think we've got that a little bit wrong and I'm a bit nervous that we're creating even in narrative a division between leaders and employees. Now there are different roles that you fulfill when you are a leader in an organization and I know that but I also wear very well the fact that I'm also an employee and therefore how how do we do that if I'm a leader and an employee Who's responsible for making sure that I'm okay at work if I'm the leader and the employee? So yep. do I have to make sure I'm, resp- I'm okay at work? Do I look to a different leader to make sure I'm okay at work when I'm wearing my employee jacket that day? Um, and I think that's where this, this, uh, this assertion about resilience gets a little bit muddled because we, we talk about employees. Not everyone is the same. And then we talk about leaders as if they are all the same. They're all, they all have the same yep. characteristics. They all need to be the same thing. Even though we are creating this really positive narrative that it's okay to be authentic at work, you can bring your whole self, everyone has different strengths. But we seem to only really talk about the employees in that vein. Yep. And then when we get to the conversation about these leaders, it's like they need to be homogenous. And I, that worries me a little bit.
0: And as the self-appointed corporate communist, I passionately believe that leaders should be able to rely on their employees to help them uh, be more resilient, that they should be able to show enough of themselves that they can say, I need you, I rely upon you to help me be resilient in this context. Because I do agree with you, I think, and this is, maybe why people are saying leaders need to be more resilient you know they're expected to be all things they're expected to be infallible they're expected to show the way in a crisis and to have all the answers themselves and that must be both exhausting and scary so for me furthering the definition of resilience um i do want to be able to bring myself i do want to be able to talk about my vulnerabilities i do want to be able to talk in an unprecedented time This is scaring me, this is, this is, I'm not sure I have the answer here. I need to go away and and think about this. I also want to be able to do enough of that in an appropriate way that my team don't lose faith in me but I also want to be able to self-manage my own resilience. A bit like I wanted to self-manage my own depression. I didn't necessarily need adjustments to be made. I wanted to be able to talk about it in a way that people understood and respected that I was doing things to manage it uh, independently. And it's the same with resilience. I want to be able to go away and do things to manage my resilience and not have it questioned.
1: I think what we are in danger of doing with our leaders at the moment is not giving them, affording them that opportunity. Uh, that There could be, um, and I'm, I'm hypothesizing forwards, Tom, uh, with my crystal ball. Uh, it could be the case that we take ourselves down a route, uh, particularly in the, in, the, in the HR world. So I'm, I'm mm. a chief people officer. and So I'm, I do have a responsibility for hiring new people into the organization, mm. and in particular, senior people into an organization. I worry that we could inadvertently take ourselves down a route of saying these are the 10 things that you need to be resilient, uh, whoever you are, and if you haven't got them, frankly, you're probably not resilient enough for our organization. And that then doesn't afford our future leaders and and our current leaders the opportunity to do exactly as you've described, which is you need to take control of yourself and be allowed to do that. And my type of resilience and my brand of resilience and the outward manifestations of that resilience might be completely different to yours it doesn't make one of us more or less resilient um it's just a different way that we work with that ourselves and we've we've managed it i mean you're a baby compared to I, where i am um, but you know, i've had nearly 50 years now of working out how I am i'm 48 close
0: i'm close okay. on your tail i'm close on your tail
1: <laughs> i have slightly more gray hair uh, but I've you've just got lots of
0: hair i have no hair
1: and now we head off into the hair debate. <laughs>
0: Sorry. Yours is looking lovely today, by the way.
1: Thank you. I'm very glad you can see it. Um, so I think what, what we're in danger of doing is, is homogenizing resilience. And I think what you're absolutely right. We, we need to think mm. about this in terms of it's individual for everyone. This thing about bringing your whole self to work, being authentic, and being able to do it in your own style and shape applies to something like a characteristic like resilience as much as it does to anything else.
0: So let's be really bold and honest. We should talk about what makes us resilient. So should we, should we play resilience tennis?
1: Oh, go on then. Do you right. want to start?
0: I start. Resilience for me is having the time to go to the gym without feeling guilty and to have a proper workout, which clears my head and makes me feel physically and mentally strong without worrying about the emails piling up. That's, that's my start of a 10.
1: Uh, mine is getting a really good night's sleep. Mm-hmm and having the opportunity every day for at least an hour of fresh air where I can just let my brain wander.
0: Okay, that's a really good one. Resilience for me is being in nature at least some of the time because I find that very energizing and peaceful.
1: Resilience for me is feeling like I am being appreciated and that I'm in an environment where uh, I am able to do my stuff and for other people to either let me do my stuff uh, or appreciate for me for what I'm doing. That is a real, that's a big thing for me.
0: That is such a good one. Yeah. So I would also say resilience for me is not operating in a vacuum where I have no walls to ping pong between because I'm not getting any feedback. I have no idea. I can't calibrate what I'm doing because nobody's telling me. I don't care if you're telling me that I'm not, I could do a better job. I just need to know otherwise i feel like i'm i'm just operating in a in into the ether and that that above everything else undermines my resilience
1: and that very neatly tom takes us to the current situation we find ourselves in because i more and more observe my colleagues who are working in a lockdown environment or working from home and those walls to ping pong off have been removed uh, because we're not working alongside each other physically anymore we're working remotely and so if you want to play ping pong, you have to reach out to someone and negotiate the terms of the ping pong game. It's, it's no longer spontaneous. It's yeah. no longer, oh, I've got an idea, Tom, what do you think? I pop next door to the next door office, I walk across the room, I've got yeah. this idea If you've got five minutes, you're at the coffee machine, you're at the water yeah. cooler, hey, what about? And we've lost that because of our remote working, our working from home, our different working practices. And in losing that, I think what I'm seeing, and certainly in myself, um, is not a loss of resilience, but an erosion of my resilience because I haven't, I've got the nature, I've got the outside, I've got the ability to let my brain wander. Frankly, it's up to me whether I go to bed early enough. Uh, And, but the other things which, which impact my resilience like being appreciated and being able to play ping pong. I love that analogy, (laughs) but that's what I've missed so much. Um, That has eroded my resilience and you and I have had conversations where I've said, I just don't feel I'm doing a good job anymore. you That's ridiculous. What's changed? Well, what's changed is you know, the, the feeling appreciated because I'm in the moment with someone and I can get that instant feedback, yeah. instant gratification, if yeah. you like, but also that I've got someone to play ping pong with and yeah. I haven't. And I think I'm not the only one who's finding that is impacting on how strong I feel uh, about what I'm contributing at work.
0: So unrehearsed, because I didn't tell you we were going to play resilience tennis, we have come right back to organizational culture, the need to have open dialogue, the need to have a coaching environment, the need to be able to feed into uh, colleagues and to have our performance calibrated, but also to be able to bring our true selves to work and say, I'm just going to go away for five minutes and work on my resilience.
1: I think also though, Tom, we take this back to leaders and yep. leader resilience, which is sort of where our conversation is, is taking us. When I've had the conversations I've had over the last few weeks uh, with people doing some research on this, I've sort of switched the leader resilience bit to, okay, well, let's, let's start at the end. Let's start with the outcomes. What is it that people are looking to lead us for at the moment, which they then describe as leadership resilience And I'm wondering if we can spend a few minutes talking about those outcomes and then bring it back to what what do we think that means for leader resilience? How would that be?
0: I think that's great. You go for it.
1: So I like to think in threes. Threes are nice and easy. I can't really count much further than three, but I have got five fingers, which, which is helpful if I need them. But the first thing that I would think about of these three things is when we talk about leadership resilience and how we want our leaders to be, What we're talking about is we want them to have empathy with everyone else. So as a leader, you are expected to be able to understand all the stresses and strains and all the uncertainties that everyone else around you is going through, all your employees, if we use that language, everyone around you, your peers, your colleagues, your employees, the the, the fact that they might be really tired at the moment. They've got multiple stresses. Their kids are being homeschooled. Their their elderly parents haven't got daycare anymore. All sorts of stuff is going on And, and being... Uh, expect as a leader to be able to sustain people through those stresses, to be empathetic with them, uh, sustain them and understand them and walk in their shoes yeah. and be able to do that in a caring, compassionate way. So, I think that's one outcome we're looking at our really great leaders to do at the minute. That's number one people. The, the second one is um, as ever, every leader is there to create value for their shareholders, their stakeholders. Um, and, and that, that's their employees, obviously, but also the people who own their business, if it's a PLC or if they've got investors, uh, the people they're returning value to. So amongst uh, sustaining their people and making sure that everyone is fine and walking in their shoes, they also need to have a massive eye on so how we're we going to keep the organisation whole. How are we going to keep that going? And actually, you need to be very resilient to be able to do that because you need to be able to move with all these external changes that are going mm-hmm. on around the organisation. So that's a little bit like the agility we talked about last time. You you need to be able to be empathetic for people as they change, but also maintain and sustain the organization. So that's the second one. And then the third one is increasingly uh, there is a responsibility on leaders to think about society and societal threats. And there are multiple threats to our society, to the demographic, to how society currently operates because of the restrictions. And as leaders in organizations, we are increasingly called upon to talk about, so what are you doing about environmental impact? Yeah. What are you doing about societal impact, community impact, uh, making sure you are hiring a diverse workforce and you're supporting them and treating them in the way they need to be treated, given the different challenges of different diverse workforces and the local society and communities. So you're sort of called upon to do three things, to um, sustain and empathise and and support your people, to maintain and and actually sustain your organisation, and to have a really good weathered eye on what's going on in society and what the impact of your organisation is on them and so you have to think about those three things and then you have to think about what is your own ability to lead so that all of those things can happen for the long journey ahead and that comes back to where you have to be jolly resilient to be able to do all those things at the same time and and to walk the road alongside your people and 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 create that balance between being empathetic and understanding of what they're going through but not being drawn into it so emotionally that you lose part of your resilience so i think as a leader as leaders and organizations when we talk about leadership resilience what we're talking about is these three outcomes these three things that you have to focus on are super important and how are you as a leader going to deal with all the challenges that those bring and and keep things moving forward
0: those are at the core of what we're asking leaders to do these days but are we over the car so imagine that you are Decide you're going to buy a new car. You're going to go online and you're going to spec it. And it, it needs to be fun and sexy. It needs to take all the shopping. It needs to carry the dogs. It needs to carry the kids. It needs to be fast, but it needs to be safe. It needs to be blue, but it could be black. And, and it needs a sunroof, but it blah, 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 blah. And, and I just, when I listen to corporates talking, you know, all the things that they expect of leaders, it adds up to a huge pile of stuff. And at the heart of what you described is being human, but not at the expense of being commercial. And human and commercial are not uh, inseparable, but I think too many organizations, too many leaders themselves think that they are. You can achieve great commercial success or organizational success through being a great human being. Uh, And having an eye on the future is, is very smart, but too many people can't see beyond today or the next six months. So. Tom,
1: it's almost like we rehearsed this. So your car analogy, um, I absolutely love. Because the when you think about all those things, and I suppose in a way I set you up, which is, yeah, when we've got this massive shopping list of 28 different things we need all leaders <laughs> to be if they're going to be resilient. But actually it boils down to one very, very simple thing. And I love that the car analogy has come out. And <laughs> why am I surprised as a car analogy? Because actually what, what do resilient leaders do? and generally and particularly at the moment they will prioritize speed over elegance yeah so take your car analogy um actually you've given me a shopping list of 43 different things this car needs to be as well as having particular things on its wheels what are you really after yeah
0: well I just need it
1: just needs to be fast yeah okay fine okay so can we compromise all those other things as long as it's fast yeah. yes we can or you might well, say we're, actually
0: we're not going to take the kids along with us but we're fast
1: it's good and but that but that is that's where we're getting to are we yeah. going to take the kids with us or not and I think at the moment in particular this point we are in this global pandemic what really resilient leaders are actually doing is prioritizing a little bit of speed over elegance and what do I mean by that what I mean is that they can take decisive action with courage based on imperfect information at the heart of what they're doing is I'm because I'm doing the right thing and actually what we're talking about with these resilient leaders and going back to those three things I talked about in each of those things, what we're really talking about is doing the right thing.
0: Yes. And so we're coming back to elegance. purpose.
1: We're coming back to purpose, Tom. Yay. Yay. To purpose. It's, it's great how these things all link together because you know, why would think they, they don't? But, but that's really what we're talking about. Yeah. What is the yeah. guiding star here? What is the purpose? Do the right thing. Speed over elegance in these situations will usually trump. It doesn't need to be beautiful, it just needs to be right. Um, and in your car analogy, it's of your list of 48 things plus below seats, because I know you've got a thing for law seats. But actually, what is the one or two things that are going to make a big difference? And at the moment in the pandemic, we know that speed of relevance was, was a, a really important thing. But it, it's, a, it's about you know, taking action, imperfect in information, address the difficult things, but do the right thing, and that comes back to
0: purpose. And it also comes back to... Being able to fail fast and having a healthy approach to blame. You will undermine leaders' resilience if you have a negative and parent child approach to blame inside an organization. Yes.
1: Actually, it's probably not as straightforward as we've just made it sound either, because you have this really challenging, slightly irritating fourth dimension, which is time. And through time, things change. So if you take our pandemic that is, we're all obsessed with at the moment because it's taken over our lives. If you go to the first phase of the pandemic, there's sort of the bit where we were just responding. You know, it yeah. was the 23rd of March in the UK and we just had to respond. Then actually, what do we need our leaders to do? The right thing for leaders to do then was to protect. Yes. Protect their people, protect their organisation, protect society. Yeah. Yeah, that was our absolute overriding requirement. And in old management speak, you might say that's playing the defensive game.
0: Yeah,
1: you were just the right thing to do is pull up the drawbridge and say, yeah. let's just make sure everyone's OK. We're moving through that now. And in old management, you US speak, perhaps Jack Welsh speak. If we take it back to that, we would say talking about playing an offensive game. Uh, but actually, I think what we need at the moment is a combination of the two. We still need to protect our people. We need to protect our organization. We absolutely need to protect the wider society. But the offensive game is we need to do that, but still be able to take the long view. And I think this is where this idea of resilient leaders is, is really becoming uh, quite a challenging one to, to match to because it arguably, it is relatively straightforward to play the defensive game. You just need to work out how to protect people and do it um, and stick to your guns. Now That's not always easy to do, but actually it's relatively easy to say. When you're saying we need to do that and then play the offensive game, play the long game. Yeah. You know, how, how are we going to win this rather than just protect it, then that becomes more difficult. And as a trying to be a resilient leader, that, that is quite challenging because you know, we, we're going back to my first bit, which is the three things. There's a wish list, there's a shopping list, there's a menu. We've all got to all the boxes. Actually, we, the, the, in the first instance, it became very straightforward. Speed over elegance, great decision-making, imperfect information, protect the team, protect the organization, protect society. Now we're moving to, yeah, you do all of that. But actually, we now need to think about a more offensive, longer play. And and that takes us back to some of the things that you were talking about earlier, which is, so, so what is going to help you do that? Because this has changed from a sprint to a marathon.
0: I think now is a really good time to go to our special guest. Um, we need to speak to somebody who can make some sense of what you and I have been talking about. God help them. Um, and I think we should speak to the lovely Bill Laurie from Ascend who works with leaders all the time to help them build their resilience. And he's got a very smart uh, perspective on what this actually means. So when I was thinking about leaders and resilience, I thought, who do I know that works with amazing global leaders in helping them build their resilience and other things. And I immediately landed upon Bill Larry from Ascend. Ascend is a talent strategy business, and Bill, he can tell you what he does, but he works with big organizations across the world in very exciting places such as PayPal, JP Morgan, and Coca-Cola. So welcome, Bill. Oh, welcome. Well, thank you, Tom. Good to be here. So you, you listened to what Clancy and I were wittering on about mm. and you know that I have this fear that organizations will talk about resilience in a macho way mm. um, and I think resilience is something very personal and something uh, unique to each person. So what what's your take on resilience and am I wrong in that fear?
2: Well, I don't know if you're wrong. I mean, you know, if, I came into working with leaders around resilience probably about 20 years ago, and I came originally out of professional sports. So and, and not being a very good professional sportsman. So the choice was made for me. And you know, and their and, and their and their resilience, I think is pretty macho, you know, you don't really talk about your issues, you try and tough it out and be stronger than the next person. But when I've seen resilience in the context of organizations, I, I haven't seen it labeled, certainly in you know this century, as, as a sort of macho thing. I think, you know, in the organizations I work in and, and and some of the organizations I aspire to work in, I don't see it as a macho thing. Interestingly, I was talking to an organization last week and they have relabeled resilience as resourcefulness. Okay. Uh, which I thought was quite interesting. You know, um, I don't actually know why they've done that, but they, again, they were concerned with some of the negative connotations with resilience. And they're thinking, actually, how can you manage all that you have to be as resourceful as possible to be able to thrive in difficult times is, is, is kind of their view on that. And, you know, making, a, a, making individuals accountable. I mean, my, my, my personal view on, on resilience, you know, if we do, to define it, is really two things. One is around sustainable performance in difficult times how do you keep performing well not necessarily breaking records but how do you keep performing well in challenging times as we're going through at the moment but also how do you what I would call spring forward some people call it bounce back how do you spring forward when you're knocked down you know maybe when some things happen that you've had nothing to do with but they derail you how do you bounce back how do you spring forward I think those are the two things that I think is important from a resilience or resourcefulness point of view.
0: So if I was sitting in big corporate world, which let's be honest, I've run screaming from <laughs> a long too. a long time ago, you know, would I be able to bring my vulnerability to a discussion on resilience? I'm sitting in a circle, perhaps in, in, in front of you. Would I be able to bring my vulnerability and my humanity to a discussion on, on resilience? Would I be able to talk about what makes me unresilient, as well as what I need from my colleagues in order to make me resilient or resourceful
2: yeah and i think i think i I mean i i would hope so is my answer to that and of course you know i i I get to work all over the world or i certainly did work all over the world physically now i do it virtually um and and i think it just depends on sometimes on the organization sometimes the culture of that organization sometimes the leader and sometimes the culture of the country you might be working in itself
0: that's a very good point
2: I absolutely agree that there is a plan. I mean, I think vulnerability, you know, we do a lot of work, working with leaders on showing their vulnerability, partly because it helps them connect with the people. So it drives followership. And partly because it it means not every, if if the leader's not perfect, then then I don't have to be perfect. It's okay for me not to be perfect. Hmm. Uh, But it also means that people know they have, it's more, it's much easier for them to empathize with me Uh, and and therefore support me. So I think their transparency around vulnerabilities is is very important.
0: So what would happen, and obviously this isn't in your clients, if uh, an organization with a more toxic culture, a more macho culture, decided to jump on the bandwagon and do resilience. If you haven't got the underlying culture to make resilience positive, what are some of the potential pitfalls?
2: Well, I think, I mean, I think one of the dangers is, is rolling out a resilience program without a culture that supports it. And, and, and
0: what therefore does that look like? What does a supportive culture look like?
2: Well, I think, I think you've got to think about who sets the culture in the organization first. So who sets the culture in the organization? And it's actually, you know, it's really the leadership, you know, and I think you, by the way, I do think, you know, we might be asking for whole organizations to change, but actually we can actually look at leaders and say, what about the micro culture around you?
0: Because yeah. if you exactly. work
2: with 60 leaders in an organization and you help them to look at the micro court, um, cultures around them, you are eliciting change. You might be in bubbles, but you're eliciting change. But essentially, I think it needs to be a holistic approach. So firstly, if you want to change the culture of the organization and you want to people to behave in a certain way, then the leaders have to behave in that way. So if you want to see vulnerability in the organization, you want to see if you think vulnerability is important into people being more resilient, then the leaders need to authentically show vulnerability and set the tone for that. But but, but it's broader than that as well. I think, sorry, I think you're going to ask me a question.
0: Well, no, I was just going to, I was going to, in some ways, I was going back to your sports, um, sports reference. And if you think you were a failed sportsman, I I never got picked for the rounders team. I was that bad, but um, you know, coaching culture. So Clancy and I both talked about how we're similar in the sense of if we if we're not operating in a coaching culture where we don't know how we're doing and we don't know where if we're appreciated or not, no. we both become vulnerable we both become unresilient because we worry about our impact and our performance so d- does your work cover things like coaching culture and how we support each other
2: yeah it, it does I mean it does I mean we do a lot of work on coaching, not even related to resilience so um absolutely I, I think. What we, aren't, what we aren't as an organization is cultural change.
0: Right.
2: What we are is supporting individuals to become more resilient and create a climate around them where resilience is encouraged or enabled. Yeah. Um, what we're not is going to kind of uproot a whole organizational culture and change it. We're more working the kind of on the bricks in the wall rather than the whole wall in one go. Um,
0: and that's so, how we but, met each other. We met each other because I do cultural change and part of that... Uh, you and I worked on the sort of holistic solution around leadership development as part of culture change. So I I want to ask you, what would you advise? Let's take the word leadership out of it. What would you advise anybody working in an organization right now to do if they can to help themselves be more resilient, accepting the fact that... a a formula for resilience is different for each person what are some of the things that they can do
2: well i I know you've taken the word leadership out can i insert the word leader back in Um, (laughs) (laughs) go for it leader leader anyone you can be a leader at any level right that's very Uh, true very true sometimes what we see you know when we're talking about resilience is people playing the victim and and and, and i i think you know the big question I might ask is what have you done to support your own resilience? Let, let, let's let's not worry about the culture of the organization, which you might struggle to change, but what have you done to support your own resilience and the resilience around you? So if I'm a leader of a team, no, I may not have a leader leadership position, but if I'm a leader of the team, there are certain things that I think are, are crucial. Uh, firstly, I think you need to be a role model. You need to be a role model for anything that you might consider that enables resilience and you know we have our own model around resilience so you know we we might talk about the right mindsets to be resilient we might talk about how emotional intelligence that relates to resilience we might talk about how you bring meaning and impact to work uh, how you create a sense of belonging we might create, talk about the good habits relating to energy management because you know yeah. sustained resilience is draining and particularly in difficult times it's impossible it's impossible isn't it um, so those things, you know, if you're not doing them yourself, if you're not putting, your, you know, like on an airplane, remember those things we used to use. <laughs> um, if you're not putting your oxygen mask on first and becoming a role model for resilience, then you don't really have too much right to help anyone else with their resilience. So there's that piece. Once you've got yourself sorted, you know, there are three things I think are pretty crucial. One is making resilience a priority or resourcefulness a priority. So, yep. you know, get to the top of the agenda, not something we want to fit in you know, after we've done everything else, it's kind of make it a priority. The second thing is around empathy. Do you really understand what other people are going through, what they're juggling with, what they're wrestling with at the moment? We, we did some work in the Philippines recently, not obviously in the Philippines, but with the Philippines mm-hmm. recently. And the leader, the CEO of the business there was talking about most of his staff are most of these people, you know, in two-bedroom flats, they've got two children who are homeschooling, both parents are working, the grandparents live in the two-bedroom flat too. They've only got one table which they eat off, but everyone's trying to work off it at the same time. School,
0: work, everything.
2: And do you really understand that? Or, Or do you really understand who is the person who's enjoying lockdown, for instance? And who are the people who are hating the isolation of lockdown? Have you really dug deep enough to understand your people? And once you do that, how can you support them, support themselves? and you know, everybody. Everybody might need something different from you. And Clancy talked about what 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 inhibited your resilience. You know, earlier on in your conversation, and that's going to be different for everybody. Do you know that? Have you, you know, and, and what can you put in place to help support people? Um, and,
0: and I think I think time and time again in these podcasts, we keep coming back to some similar consistent themes. And one of them is people come to work, not employees. And as a leader, you need to understand the person, not the employee in order to get the best out of them as the employee. Bill, I want to ask you a question, if you don't mind. What makes you resilient? What do you do to take responsibility for your resilience? What what are some of the things that, that you do and help you?
2: Well, it's been a bit of a journey myself I think you know and it, 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 about, we talked about knowing other people but you've got to know yourself and it was interesting to hear what you and Clatsy talked about uh about you know what makes what's the kind of kryptonite that makes you <laughs> uh I, I mean I know I need certain things if you think of me as a plant you know what yes. sort of water do I need um, are you
0: a geranium or a daisy
2: uh well you I'll leave you, <laughs> I'll leave you to make that <laughs> I think I'm a sunflower oh, um uh I think, you know, I know I need autonomy in space. If I look at any, any role that I've thrived in in corporate life or, or things, I know that I need to be able to work out, not necessarily where we're going, but how we get there and space to kind of think and, and process. Uh, I need to know I'm making an impact. I need to work. I, I mean, come from a team sport background. I like working in teams and collaborating, you know, collaboration. Those are pretty crucial parts of my kind of bio f- feed to my plant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I mean, the other things that I, you know, when I talked about these, these mindsets, these emotions, the kind of sense of meaning and energy that are important in, in our, you know, we have a diagnostic around resilience. I, I, I take a lot of discipline in managing my energy. So, you know, I take a lot of time making sure I get the right sleep, making yep. sure I exercise, you know, well, but not too much. So it doesn't drain me and making sure I put the right things in my body most of the times so from a nutrition. <laughs> perspective um because i i think that really helps i mean it helps obviously as most probably people know it helps deal with some of the chemicals related to stress you know it helps break them down and more you if you exercise well you sleep better and all those sorts of things so i can sort those things out i think better so i'm less likely to be emotionally triggered uh, I'm, I'm likely to make better decisions um, i'm more likely to be empathetic towards other people um, so that's kind of the bedrock how do i manage my energy
0: um, okay, that's good. That's great. Bill, thank you so much. I'm going to go away now and uh, manage my resilience by going to the gym. It's uh, in case anybody's remotely interested. It's, it's chest day today, uh, which I always enjoy. Um, Bill, uh, right, sorry, what?
2: The left chest or the right chest? <laughs>
0: all of it, Bill, all of it. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you for being our sunflower today. <laughs> Bill Laurie from Ascend. Uh, that was massively insightful. Thanks so much. Well, thank
2: you, Tom. Thank you so much for having me. Could I just make one, um, one offer to your sure. audience? Um, we afraid. have a resilience diagnostic. And uh, you can, uh, if you contact us through the website, www.ascend.world, uh, if you contact us through then, and anyone wants to do the resilience diagnostic, it will give you a traffic light, really, of where you're strong in resilience and where you might want to make some improvements. So if anyone wants to try that, please contact us through the website.
0: That is a wonderful offer. We all love free stuff, but free stuff that really helps us. Uh, And I've done that resilience test, actually, and it's really, really good, and it gets you thinking. So cheers, Bill.
2: All right. Thanks for having me. Bye.
0: So Bill is full of great ideas and advice in terms of how to build your individual and collective resilience. I suppose I still have the concern that in the wrong hands, in the wrong culture, this has got the potential to push the mental health agenda backwards because it becomes something competitive and it becomes something macho. I am still going to hold that fear. I think uh, it's
1: a, a An interesting one to hold on to, Tom. Uh, And yes, I can understand why you're in that place still. I think two things stood out for me from what Bill said, and perhaps they might go some way to allaying that concern. He he said, the first thing he said that really stood out for me was you need to make this personal. What have you done to support your own resilience? Accountability and and responsibility. Accountability and responsibility. And only when you've done that, what do you then work out about the people who work for you? So he said, do do you first, support your own resilience, look to you first. And I think that does support the mental health agenda, doesn't it?
0: It does, as long as you are in an environment that respects and enables you to take accountability and responsibility for yourself. And something as simple as banter, misplaced banter around the steps you're taking to be resilient can just undermine it in an instant.
1: Oh, it absolutely can. And, and you and I both have personal experience with that. But I like this idea of making it personal. Work is about 50% of what we do in our yeah. whole day. Uh, and we've got outside of work. And I think if you can find a safe space to help build your resilience and work on your resilience, and that might not be in work, then that is going to benefit you when you are at work. Now, hopefully you can find a place in work where you can do that and feel safe. But actually, building resilience is personal to you, and it, it might not be the work you do is in the workplace, but it will help you when you 're there.
0: I think, in terms of ways you can work on this moving forward, I would start as a team with a simple coffee conversation around what makes you resilient in the same way that you and I played resilience tennis and then build yes. build from there. If you go straight in with the program uh, people will feel awkward get some honesty humility and humanity on the table first and be willing to say at the start of every team meeting I'm a six today how are you uh well I'm a nine okay do you want to talk about your six no I'm fine I just need you to know I'm a six today
1: And that follows the idea of a check-in conversation, which I love and use a lot. So before we start the meeting, how are you all today? How are we all feeling today? What was the story coming to the meeting? How are we doing? I think that's great. And that idea of making it personal to me made it bite-sized chunks. And you're right. Start with a coffee, don't start with a program. The second thing that really, really struck me, uh, and it's a short one, but it was a goodie. Resilience and maintaining energy take discipline. And... This really stuck with me. You have to work at it. It's you not do. the case that you're either resilient or not. You actually need to make yourself work at it. Now, we all have different underlying residual levels of resilience. However, this idea that you actually need to devote time and energy to it, I, it for some reason, that really chimed with me.
0: And I think you have to be, uh, I'm struggling to find the word in English. I know the word in French, uh, unashamed about... Uh, working at it I think what I have learned through old age is that when I say no actually I'm not going to take that phone call at nine o'clock in the evening no I'm not going to do that Skype at six o'clock in the morning Uh, no I can't stick that 10th meeting in my diary Uh, people are usually oh okay um, and I think you, you have to stand your ground and be proud of your own right to own your resilience.
1: Yes. And I think that idea of owning it, making it personal and working at it, were things that really stuck with me. And I, I think we could probably all do something on that.
0: Yeah, but I'll say it again, for the point of being boring, you need the <laughs> environment where you are encouraged, enabled, and respected for owning your own resilience. Right. I think that's enough from you and I. We will be back soon. Neil will be back soon and we will also be introducing Dr. Keith at some point. Dr. Keith is so funny and so intelligent. He's going to put us to shame. Um, (laughs) Don't forget Mashup on the 24th of September. Mashup.events if you would like to hear uh, a short discourse about the, the future of work. And in the meantime, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to share with your friends and do suggest things that you would like us to talk about. Uh, you can do that via Twitter or you can do that on LinkedIn. It's goodbye from France.
1: And goodbye from Hampshire.